0: Welcome to Less Than or Equal, the podcast about pursuing equality and geekdom by celebrating the diverse in their accomplishments. Today, I am happy to be joined by Molly L. Patterson. Molly, welcome.
1: Hi, nice to be here. How are you? I am hot, like not like not like in the good, like sexy kind of way, but in the sweating. Oh my gosh, I'm sweltering here yeah. because I live in in an apartment from like the 1920s. Um, oh, so it's very, very thick windows and very insulated, but we also, of course, then have no central air whatsoever. So oh. it's just it's it's an apartment that loves to just keep heat inside of it and not let it go. And and plus our living room faces the setting sun. Oh. So yeah. Excellent views, bad bad, bad summer times. Yeah, it's like I am I am totally not up. Uh, warm weather person, which is why I'm living in Los Angeles, California, because that is a, <laughs> makes perfect sense. So
0: That's kind of how I am, too. I live in Phoenix, and I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I've
1: been to Phoenix. I could I, I could never live there. Yeah, it's pretty.
0: This The winters are wonderful, but right now it's just, you know, I, I go outside for 15 minutes and then I come inside and take a nap because it's just exhausting.
1: <laughs> See, I when you say the winters are wonderful, like to me, winters are like s- snowy, picturesque scenes where you're inside cuddling up, you know, and it's nice and and comfy and, and, you know, I don't know, like, so I, I winter in Phoenix, just. (sighs) See, but did you, have you lived in snow? Yes. I grew up in snow. Okay.
0: I grew up in snow. I did too. And that's why I'm like, this is not my picture of snow, but I also grew up somewhere where it was like 45, 45 minute commute to get to work
1: Mm, in the winter.
0: So that's part that feeds into it. Like if I had a work from home job, it might be Okay.
1: Yeah, see, I've had a lot of work from home jobs. Uh, yeah, yeah. And so, yes, yeah, so you got broken by the snow. I did. See, I, I still, yes, I still have a love. Party, okay, so.
0: that makes sense. Yeah. So, Molly, who are you?
1: <sighs> that is like the worst question in the entire world. I know, I'm sorry. Cause, like, how am I even supposed to answer that? Gosh, um, <laughs> I am, oh, I, you know, you know this is going to be the very first way to define myself. And maybe this <laughs> says something for me. I'm a redhead. And okay. in a weird way... Being a redhead kind of defines a lot of things in my life because when I was really young, um, from the moment—and I'm I'm sorry—I'm going to tell you ramble on this answer. Um, From the moment I went to school, like I stood out, right? Like I was a redhead, and I right away you saw me and knew I was different. And there was no, as far as I can remember, there were no other redheads in my elementary school, and so very very quickly I learned. You know, the whole thing about being different and and standing out and what that means from how people treat you and how people act towards you, and the kind of things both positive and negative. And so, in so many things that have come through my life, like so that was that was a really weird like early introduction to, you know, what what happens to somebody when you aren't quote unquote normal and when you're placed in that kind of position in life, um, so I used to like hate being a redhead, but now I love it. You know, it's it's one of the things for, like when you're a kid, you you hate it, and when you're an adult, you love it.
0: You know, it's interesting that 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 that's the first thing you you responded with because so we met at PAX East. You mm-hmm. were um on the two press X Y panels um that they had, and I've talked about that on the show before. Um, but it's like transgender, non-binary kind of panels. And um, that was a really poor definition. I'll ask you to talk about that in a second. Um, but one of the first things I noticed, because I believe you you kind of mc both of them. And I remember sitting in the room and looking at your hair and I was like, she has the most beautiful hair because it's this beautiful red and it's it's these like tight curls. And, you know, I've got straight, you know, brown hair and I'm like oh I, I, I want your hair so um so that's actually one of the first things I noticed about you too
1: it is I mean that that is that is my kind of weird calling card at this point it's so funny because I'll you know in in I work in games media um and when I go to a lot of events and meet a lot of people like they never forget me In in part I'm sure big part because of my hair. And so I am mm-hmm. horrible with names and faces. So it's actually really nice to have people like instantly recognize me and know who I am and where I'm oh, from.
0: interesting.
1: Because then I can kind of get away with not remembering who they are and, you know, uh, like, they come walk up, and- up to me. Yeah. And then say whatever. And then I'm like, oh, okay, you're the PR person I was supposed to have been looking for. But you know, it's, nice. it's so it's so funny because like, I would probably love having your straight hair i don't know about the brown part but uh the the straight like it's always this one that's kind of grass is always greener things right
0: right i think so
1: yeah because like you were talking about struggles like having curly hair like this is a, is a huge struggle every single day so that i have to get past um but i mean like that, that was a horrible introduction for me i guess uh i don't think so no but you know, said it's, it's it's funny because you brought up the the precise xy thing and you know I guess I I am, I'm not, I guess I'm trans, but I am trans and for anybody who doesn't know, who doesn't know me. um And in going through all this, like it's it's been this really weird kind of, well, I've already gone through some of these things in my life. Like when I was really young, not in the exact ways or anything, but I had to learn those kind of, what do you do when people make fun of you? What do you do when you stand out? Like all those kind of little things. So, you know, in- what I guess would be one of the big defining things for me now is my being trans. Um, the redhead part was kind of already there and instead in a really weird way, introduced me to to that kind of stuff. So you kind um, of had an ace up your sleeve? Yeah. I mean, it's it's, I guess, like I got desensitized to a lot mm. of things at a pretty young age, which if I look back and think of myself back then, it was really hard to go through at that point. But I did go through it and I kind of learned that I could um, you know, receive those those comments or those feelings and actually deal with them. And and you know, I would be okay and I I I could laugh off the certain things and then just know that people are gonna be dumb so I can forget the other kinds of things. So it, it said in in being trans and being a lot of this stuff, um, I think. A simple thing like my hair color really did help help me learn a lot about life early on. That's why, like I said, weirdly, that's one of the first things I go to is, is you know, defining who I am, even though it really isn't who I am. And, you know, just like skin color, like we aren't just these, these kind of external things.
0: But it's something that stands out about you.
1: Yeah, and and like and always has. Yes, and with everybody who wants to be redheads now and are faking it, you know, I I am a proud original, <laughs> genuine model. So yes, um, but I guess also um, I'm I, I write about video games. I I play video games. I do panels. I I do graphic design. I do a heck of a lot of podcasts. I make websites. I write. So I do like a ton of things and it's yeah I don't even know how to define myself especially like it's that's been a weird thing right um in transitioning is that I've 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 now gone on this big search for for, 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 like who I really am Mm -hmm. so I've been in a weird way like so focused on that that that's been my super huge who am I question
0: Well, part of why I ask that I I actually have a couple of reasons for asking for phrasing that question in that specific way, because um, I, I told you before we started recording, like primarily it's because I want people who, you know, I talk to marginalized people a lot of the time and I want them to be able to tell other people who they are instead of me trying to form that narrative for them and and, mm-hmm. and shape this conversation that we're having, like that's that's my guest's first chance to shape the conversation because I hardly ever prep questions in advance. I do if the guest asks me to, you know, but that happens super, super rarely. So first is I want people to be able to to, to set the tone, you know, but secondly, it leads to really interesting conversations like this because people start thinking, well, why, why did I say that? You know that that's interesting because because I didn't know I was going to say that, and that's interesting that that's how I think about myself, and you know, um, or or that's that's a defining thing for me. So um, that's why I do that is because it it leads to these these interesting things. See, I feel I feel really bad though now because oh, like no. I had
1: the chance. To give like some kind of really deep, meaningful, like philosophical answer to who I am <laughs> as a person and a being, and and then I just come off with some weird comment about my hair. But you know, I guess in a weird no, way. Oh, I think now, it's now, now that you say that, I guess if anybody's going to take anything from me and listening to this, it's that I have a sense of humor about everything, and and I don't take anything too seriously. So. I guess maybe that's something I do want to communicate too is just the fact that you know I I can come at even things, you know, just very super oh my gosh important like being trans and stuff with a sense of humor and and then I can not get too too wrapped up in myself about it all. So
0: okay. I don't know. <laughs> well, I loved your answer for the record. Well, thank you. Um so would you talk a little bit about what Press X Y is because apparently on the fly I'm incapable of giving <laughs> a good explanation for that.
1: No, no, that was a that was a good answer. Um, so Press XY, I got um, connected with it back in 2012, and really when I say connected with it at the beginning, it was just one person named Charles Batterby, Battersby, uh, who he was like, hey, I would like to do a panel at PAX East. I believe it was the time. I think that was our first one um, at PAX East about trans issues in gaming. And so he went around and he asked some people and he also asked me, and I'll be honest, I'm not really certain why he came to me and, and how he even found me in the first place. Um, I think the reason was because <clears throat> I currently work for EGM and I was working for EGM at the time. I had done an interview with yoshinori ono who is the the main series guy right now for a street fighter franchise okay and at the time they were they were getting ready to launch street fighter cross tekken and they were introducing the character of poison to the game and the poison is a character from final fight she's been around for about 20 some years but she at that point at that point was one of the most notable trans characters in gaming and so I'd done an interview with, with him about her and kind of some of the concerns and issues people had with her inclusion. And so I think that's how he came to find me. But um, I got invited to the panel. Some of the people were as well. We did this first panel at PAX East 2012. It was called Press XY. And that was just kind of a, you know, just funny little name. And it went like way better than than we could have thought, so it was a. The idea was we wanted to cover at various aspects of of um, being trans that that are related in gaming and are represented in gaming. So that covered trans characters, trans developers, um, how publishers deal with trans employees. There were a lot of different things in this in this like. 50 minute presentation. So we kind of just crammed everything together. They did some, a few examples on each one and it went over like super duper well. And coming out of that, we were like, okay, you know, what would be great is to maybe break off some of these topics and then do, you know, individual specific panels for them, like a panel on characters, a panel on developers and not just mush it all into, into one panel. Mm -hmm. So at that point, press XY basically came, became this, Kind of little grouping of um, four or five core members that tried to then go on to do other panels. And at this point, and I'm as I'm bad because bad I don't remember the exact number, but I think we've ended up doing like eight or nine different panels by this point. And we will hopefully be at PAX Prime this year. But since that PAX 2012, we've we've done at least one panel at every PAX event. And so, really, our goal is to go to PAX do a panel, have an audience, and hopefully teach people um, about issues that they don't necessarily know about. Mm-hmm. Because I think the trans thing is, is you know, so kind of, I'm not even sure like the right word I want to say. It's just like, it's not really out there as much. Like, the, that conversation isn't really happening. For the most part, you do have conversations about, you know, female characters in gaming or minority characters in gaming in terms of race. Or you have had the, you know, gay marriage issue, in in gaming, or gay relationships in gaming, um, but the question of trans things hasn't brought been brought up as much. And you can even look at games, you know, released in the last year that still have some really really bad examples mm-hmm. of of characters or jokes or, or whatever. So, you know, we were our, we were, our thinking was just like. Let's get education out there. Let's get information out there. And in whatever small ways that we can maybe help change things a little bit, or at least try to light on what's going on, you know, let's do that. So that's kind of now our goal. And, you know, we're doing the panels. We are also part of the PAX Diversity Lounge. We've been the part of the last two, which were the first two that they've had. We're going to hopefully be in the next one. And, you know, when we're in there, we're kind of just there to, answer any questions people have. And that ranges from people who simply want to know, you know, what trans characters are in gaming mm-hmm. to people who, you know, we've had people who are trans or think they are trans come up and just say, Hey, you know, you like games, I like games. We have at least one connection. Can I just talk to you, you know, about my situation and, and, and have somebody to talk to. Cause I haven't found anybody to talk to, you know, up to this point. So
0: I love the diversity lounge. Um, People who who listen to the show know that like the Sunday of PAX, I spent most of the day just like in the diversity lounge, just like and people would be like DMing me on Twitter, texting me and I'd be like, I'm in the diversity lounge. Like, (laughs) come on, because so much of PAX was just like, you know, just just white dudes. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I, I need I need less of this right now. And I loved it, you know, seeing seeing all sorts of people just come and and walk around and and look at the the vendors that were there and just kind of chill out. So I'm super excited that um that Press XY is part of that. Um and I'm I'm glad that it's um a place where people can come talk about whatever.
1: It was, you know, it was it was an interesting thing the first the first time because You know, a lot of people saw it as as this thing that was created because one of the penny arcade guys was a jerk online. And this was their response, right? Like that was that was kind of the the mentality of some people. And you know, some people were like, Don't go to PAX, don't go to be part of the diversity lounge. They're um, you know, sectioning off the the quote unquote diversity of the show into this one little space and everything. You know, but as as somebody who, who was there and had a table there, like, I don't know, it to me, it was a great thing because, you know, my thought was that if you're somebody who is like, you know what, I want to see a side of gaming that I don't see very often, then you knew, like, exactly where you could yep. go. I mean, I mean, not that that isn't in other parts of PAX as well, and they're not – Lord, they're not saying that we can't be in other spaces or have booths or whatever – but it was a it was a good way to say, hey, if you want to learn something, if you want to find people who are like you, if you want to expand your knowledge of things, there is somewhere you can go where, you know, you'll be able to have those experiences and make those kind of connections.
0: Yeah. And, you know, so I, I got some pushback because I traveled from Phoenix to Boston Um just to go to PAX. And, you know, people are like, you have a show about diversity, you have a show about, you know, inclusivity, about treating everybody well, and you're going to, you're supporting the Penny Arcade guys who are, I think, everybody, not everybody, but I think a lot of people agree the Penny Arcade guys are problematic. Um and so I went, you know, I was going no matter what. I was gonna go see mm-hmm. friends. And I went and I saw I saw so many panels about diversity, including the press XY ones. And in addition to just like having panels about diversity there, the Press XY panels especially seem to be pretty well attended. Yeah. So
1: what has your reception been like? It's been, it's 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 been like I still remember. The first panel, and um, they had put us in the room right next to the Mass Effect room. And I think this was when Mass Effect 3 was getting ready to come out. So they were showing off some brand new stuff that nobody had seen about Mass Effect, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I'm walking to our panel and I'm seeing this gigantic line, and I'm like, okay, that's for the Mass Effect room. It has to be, you know? And I, and I get in there and we're setting up, and I'm sitting there and just looking out across this empty room, and I'm like, nobody is going to come. Like I was so worried that like nobody was going to show up. And then they opened the doors and we filled the entire room. And I was like, this is, this is really amazing. Yeah, that's and, really cool. And it's funny, you know, cause we actually seem to do a lot better at PAX East than we do at PAX Prime. And I don't know why that is, but we seem to have better attendance in Boston than we do Seattle. Um, and I think one of the best things for me has been not just seeing the people who come that already know this stuff, you know, because we do get those, we do get those, that kind of attendance, you know, people who are trans or people who aren't trans, but know about trans issues and things like that. But it's always fun for me because I always ask, you know, who, who, for who, you know, who's coming to a PACS, I mean, who's coming to a PACSY like panel for the first time. And it's always awesome for me to see hands go up because those are the people that I want to reach the most, you know not necessarily the people who already know this and this is just me preaching to the choir but the people who have the opportunity to really learn something that they don't know you know and hopefully also be entertained by it at the same time so
0: i think it's great i'm, I'm so excited i
1: just and i I want to i'm sorry i'm going to say you know about your concern about going to, to packs at mm-hmm. that point i went through that too you know because we we had already done i think Cause that was a diversity lounge point. So we had already done, you know, a a few PAX panels and I was like, okay, do I, do I go? Do I not go? Do I make this kind of a protest thing or whatever? And my decision was, and, and I want to be clear, I I respect anybody who decided they didn't want to go and they had their own beliefs and reasons and stuff. But for me, it was if, if I don't go, I can't do any good at that event. Mm -hmm. If I do go, I could potentially do good at that event. And I don't remember which show it was, but I had somebody come up to me after our panel and she told me, um, you know, thank you for having your panels because I went to one of your previous ones and that gave me the courage to accept who I was and get things started for my own transition. Oh, Wow. And I was like, "That is exactly like. I mean, that's like super. Like, I'm not expecting that to happen like every single time or anything, but that was for me like the perfect example of why I have to be there, you know. And if if we say that Pax has problems and that the people running Pax have problems, you know, my belief is it can't get better if I'm not there making it better. And I would rather go there." and try my best to, to change things, then, then do what I consider to be doing nothing and staying away from it.
0: That that was my feeling too. But on the other hand, it's really easy for me as a cisgender, you know, straight white person with her very tall husband in tow <laughs> to be like, yeah, I'm going to go because I want to have a positive impact. You know, that's mm-hmm. it's a completely different story. So I... um. I appreciate hearing that coming for you from you. Um, what was it like to have someone come up to you and
1: tell you that? That was like, it was really, it was like, I mean, I was almost like turning up a little bit here, you know, saying that. Yeah. Because that's like, I mean, that's like a lot of like, like not pressure on my shoulders, but that's like, oh gosh, you know, like what if I ruin this poor person's life? And she like, like later on, she regrets it or something like that. You know, like I think those weird kind of thoughts, mm-hmm. but I mean, to me, it was awesome. Like it, it was because I guess... You know that's something I think that a lot of us need. We just need to know that we're not alone in things, and that we aren't weirdos because we're different. You know, mm-hmm. and that, you know, if if anything I did in some small way helps somebody have a better life, that's like amazing. Like that's that's why we're here, right? Is not just to to have our own kind of selfish wants and needs satisfied, but to hopefully make the world a little better in the same time. So. If I really did in any way help her have the courage to accept herself and then, you know, go on her path, then that's awesome. That is like such an awesome thing to I mean. That's the perfect example of why I want to, you know, keep doing panels and keep being in the diversity lounge and hopefully in the future be at other events and do other things.
0: That's just amazing. That's just amazing. So one thing I wanted to ask you about briefly, well, it can however long you want, actually. But um, I know that you were pretty established in your career once you started transitioning. And like, I want to say what was that like for you? But it's like, what what is anything like? <laughs> but I guess part of what I'm what I'm trying to do with the show is give um, give people like me some some advice on how they can help um people who are transgender and trend transitioning or um binary or you know gay or people of color like I, i'm trying trying to help the white people of the world be better people kind of <laughs> is, you know so i was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what was helpful to you as you were transitioning um and like if you have some examples of some things that people were trying to do like with good intentions, but kind of screwing it up. If, if, you know, if you talk about that a little bit too.
1: So, um, and I, and I want to be clear on what I'm going to say, because I, I don't think I'm any kind of like big celebrity or anything, but I, one of my problems in transitioning was that I was established to some level. Um, right out of high school, I got into working in games media and I, I worked for a magazine called uh, Game Fan back in the day, and at that point, um, I had started. Well, before that, I would started under this nickname Shidoshi. That's a nickname I've used for a lot of my of my life, and I used that before in doing some things. I used that at Game Fan after Game Fan closed down, and I moved on. I used it for other things, so I had this weird. I was in this weird position where. Um, I had a known existence among the community that I'm a part of, in terms of like video gaming and and games media and things like that. But it was also one where that nickname was still connected to my real self. And if I could go back in time and do anything, I would have made a very big divide between the real me and kind of the, the nicknamed online me mm-hmm. to kind of have had a divide between that because I didn't. So what ended up happening was a lot of things I, like I left, you know, we're, we're learning now, like this big trail that you leave across the internet, you know, every day, every month, every year. And so there was a me that existed out there for a long, long time and a lot of me that people knew in and that, you know, grew over the years, I moved on projects. And when I got to the point of deciding I was going to transition, I was and still am the executive editor at EGM, which is a pretty like decently high position and, and a position that people are going to notice. Mm-hmm. So when when I first decided that transitioning was something I was going to do, I was terrified because. I was like, how do I even handle this? Because again, I'm not saying I'm like, you know, super celebrity, like a Bruce Jenner or anything, but I was somebody that people knew. And I'm like, there's no way I can just go away for six months and then reappear as, as, as the new female me. Right. Because I have friends who have done that, you know, they, they, were in, they were in positions in their life where they could just vanish for a while, come back as somebody else. And nobody knew that, you know, any kind of change had happened. But I was here and I'm like, okay, I've got a job at a a magazine where my my picture and my name are always in the magazine. I do a lot of podcasts. I do a lot of things online. I do my own side projects. So I have all these different things where it was like, oh God, you know, who who do I tell what when? Like, when do I switch names? Like, I mean, switching, even that simple act of switching names on podcasts was just a gigantic freak out for me. So I, I guess part of it, And I am getting to your question, I promise. No, Um, you're 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 good. um, I guess part of it just in my position was like, how do you deal with every step along the way? Like, what do you tell people? Mm -hmm. When do you tell them? Like, I am I am still I am still like not out to part of my family. Part of my family still knows nothing about my situation. Like I I am literally weeks away from like legal document changes and everything and part of my family still doesn't know oh, wow. so i'm even at the point now where like i have facebook accounts and i have to balance what goes where and who sees what posts and things like that so it's this gigantic juggle and so i think the very first thing like that i would tell anybody who is going to transition or is thinking about transitioning is to sit down and really think about that and think about you know how your life is set up, and how you're gonna handle it because anything you do can't be can't be undone, and that's one of the scariest things of 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 being trans and and coming out to but well, not just being trans to be clear, but um in my situation of being trans and coming out to people you know is you 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 realize you can't ever take that back mm-hmm. so there's just a lot of thought and and overthinking about what steps you do and what steps you take and how to handle that because it is crazy and in my position it was really really crazy because i i had even though people at my work didn't seem to have the same kind of fears i was always like how are people going to react if 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 i publicly transition at, at work you know because um, i've seen examples of other people in the industry who have transitioned i'm not gonna i'm not gonna name her name i mean it's not like a, it's a secret or anything mm-hmm. but there's somebody who transitioned. And you had other websites like doing stories about her, you know, like congratulations to her and like, oh, you'll be fine. And stuff. But it was like, this is like a super huge deal. And she's probably just like, I want to live my life. And, and Right.
0: Just leave me out and leave me alone.
1: Yeah. So I, I think part of it is, um, you know, so advice wise, the first thing I think I would ever say is just understanding how hard of a thing this is. You know, in in a weird way, we, we use the term sex change a lot, mm-hmm. right? Oh, somebody's got a sex change. But that makes it sound like you're walking into a doctor and then walking out a different sex, mm-hmm. right? That's not how it happens. It's this long, complicated, chaotic process. Messy, right. Now, I was going to say messy, yeah. But I was like, I don't want to say messy. Um, So I think the very first thing is, you know, understand that and understand that people – Need to do things on their own time frame and in their own way, and not to push them or or not to pressure them in anything and not to talk about their situation or make it a public deal mm-hmm. before you know what they're comfortable with. The thing for me is i I came out to my friends, my really close friends and some of the people very early in the process, like in, in terms of once I really understood what was going on. So it was a good, I want to say almost four years between when I first came out and when I actually started transitioning. And one of the things I kind of ran into from, from friends was that I would say, you know, I, I told them the initial story, like, okay, here's what's going on. Here's how I feel. Here's who I believe I am. I want to just be able to be honest with you. And then, you know, six months down the line, when they see absolutely nothing has changed, Mm -hmm. they're kind of like, well, I thought you were doing that thing. And I think that's one of the big things that I think people could, you know, understand and learn is is you have to be really careful about pressuring or, or kind of having expectations for what this means, because everybody has to deal with it in their own way. And for me, going from realizing what my issues were to I'm ready to deal with them in this taking this big step, you know, I I needed to have some years there. Mm. And that can be hard for people to understand because like with my family and some other people, it almost seemed like they kind of just forgot about it after a while. And then, you know, you have to remind them like, yes, this is still a thing. I'm just still trying to figure this out. So I think the time frame thing. Um, is one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give is, you know, know that this isn't an overnight process. And just because somebody learns something about themselves doesn't mean they suddenly have the answers because they probably don't. I mean, when I, when I first was dealing with this, when I was first going to my psychologist and talking to him, I was certain that I was not going to transition like that, that was my certainty. And then obviously that's changed. (laughs) Uh, But, you know, so, I mean, like that was a learning process for me. Like everything was a a kind of journey for me in in figuring out what to do and how to handle things. So I think, you know, just being careful of of that. Um, And I had some other ones and now I'm trying to think because, I mean, I guess, does that, does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely
0: does. Well, and I think that, you know, it's, I imagine for me, it would be a hugely psychological thing because I'm very cerebral anyway. Like I'm always analyzing myself, but um, we are not yet at a point where being transgender is, you know, an accepted thing. And I think that there's a lot of, I don't baggage is the word I'm thinking of, like, like societally imposed baggage Mm -hmm. for people to, to kind of sort through and decide like, like, you know, not all of it is bad, maybe like, you know, this piece of luggage is okay. And I need to get rid of all of these other things, but it's not as easy as like throwing it out on the street. You know, I've got to, I've got to unpack this and understand it and, and decide who I am. And some people do that quickly. I've known people who've been like, all right, well, I, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. and And they've just gone and that's good for them, right. but not good for you.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's a good point. That's one of the big differences is that, you know, people are going to take it at their own speed. So I know people who figured it out and then the next day they were like, okay, this is my female name or my male name. You know, these are my new pronouns. Call me those things. You know, I'm ready to start this. And there are other people who need that kind of, of time to to process this and really understand. And I, I think, too, like right now is a really weird time because of all of the Caitlyn Jenner stuff yes so you're going kind of go through these phases of suddenly it's in the news and then people want to ask you you know like ask you all these questions and I think that you really I think another good thing is if you want to be supportive is to just try your best to understand and realize that Maybe some of the questions you have, you know, aren't valid questions to ask someone. Um, In my case, my my belief is always that if somebody isn't trying to offend me with a question, I'm not going to be offended by it. So you can ask me, you know, people have asked me like, Totally inappropriate questions, things like you know the genitalia question and stuff like that. Stop, people, stop. Um, But you know, like it doesn't—it doesn't bother me if I know that people aren't trying to be offensive to me. But a a lot of people, it does. And everybody is different, and how how everybody handles these things is different, and it can be really complex. And I understand that. And for anybody who is not trans and they are trying to deal with all this and, and understand it. I do feel bad for you because it is like even when you are trans, you don't understand everything, and it can be a crazy thing. So, so you know, it's the important thing is to ask the right questions at first, and the right question can even be, you know, what am I? What, what are UK asking? I mean, having me ask you about, you know, and what? How do you want me to refer to you going forward? You know, what pronouns do you want? What what name do you want? um i think it's it's kind of one of the you know i think the bigger part of it is is the, the thing of you know understand when somebody is coming to you because they want your advice and when they just want you to listen and i think in in this position and being trans like a lot of times i think i just wanted somebody to listen you know i just like i i need just somebody to talk to about these kind of things I think that's, that's sometimes the best support you can, you can give and said, and then if they are open to questions and then ask them, because, you know, being asked questions sometimes even helped me think about my situation in ways that I might not have thought about it otherwise. Yeah. And then I think too, some of the stuff that I've dealt with, um, you know, you were asking about like, I don't remember exactly how you phrased it, but, but things that maybe people advice that gave me that wasn't great advice or, or stuff like that. Mm-hmm. I got a decent amount of that from the trans community because, and I want to be, be careful on how I say this because okay. I, I, I don't mean to offend anybody, but I think that when you are a smaller marginalized group and you see somebody else who, who might be coming into that group, that you kind of want to grab onto them and, and have them be part of you to kind of strengthen your, your, your own, you know, self. And that totally makes sense. And that makes sense in a lot of different ways. But so when I was kind of starting that trans people would be like, Oh, when you transition, do this, this, and this, and Oh, you should be doing this and this, you know? And it was kind of like, you know, don't, don't push me into that. You know, let me figure out things on my own. Let me discover things on my own. When I have questions, if you're willing to answer them for me, that's awesome because that helps me in in my journey to know what you went through and how things worked for you and your feelings and stuff, but don't put that on me. And I think on the other side for, you know, so for people who are trans, like I think we have to be very careful about not pushing what we want onto somebody else, because there is, there is no, you know, quote unquote normal in, in being trans. There are people who do want to transition or people who don't, people who want to take hormones, people who don't, people who want, you know, um, sexual reassignment surgery, people who don't want it. So that was a weird thing to run into is, you know, you have on the one side the people who aren't trans having all these weird questions and having these kind of expectations that, that don't understand what it's really meaning to be trans. And then on the other side, I had trans people coming at me with this pressure of what to do and how to do it and kind of some of the drama and all of that. So when I was first going through this, I was in a really, really weird in between that I had to figure out.
0: That's interesting and not something that I'd really considered. Um, I think a lot of my friends who have, who have transitioned or in the process of transitioning, um, if it's something they've experienced, they haven't talked to me about it. So it's good to, good to know that. So I at least kind of can have that in the back of my head of You know, someone comes to me and is like, I'm feeling all of this pressure and I can be like, oh, okay, I understand. Um, You know, something that I've learned as as I've become aged is that um, there are so very few shoulds in life. Like we impose a lot of shoulds on ourselves Mm -hmm. and we let others impose shoulds on ourselves. But there actually aren't a whole lot of them. Like it's all just our own journey, you know.
1: It's that's you know, that was one of the things like One of the hardest parts I've had in in transitioning was the, I wish I'd done this sooner. And that works for everything that works for, you know, I wish I'd known about this before puberty. So I could have taken puberty blockers, you know, I wish I'd known about this in in my early twenties because then I I could have transitioned then and I could have had all those fun young years Mm. as the real me. I wish I would have done this before this certain point because then that would have made things easier. I wish when I figured this out, I would have just jumped into transitioning right away because then I would be four years, uh, have four years more progress than I do now. There's like so many of those kind of things. And, you know, kind of like what you're saying, I think you have to be careful to, to not push yourself into that because that can really drive you crazy. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to get into to how old I am exactly, but I, <laughs> you know, I, I am not super young. I'm not old, but I, I know people who are, are like in their, you know, early twenties being like, oh my God, I'm so old. Like, you know, like mm-hmm. I've lost my chance to transition and I'm like, shut up. You're so much <laughs> younger than me. Like, I wish I was in your position, you mm-hmm. know? And the thing that I've learned is it's never, it's never too late To change things and that goes for anything not not just being trans but you know your your place in life your job where you live the relationships you're in whatever like you you have the ability to change it at any time so you know understand that and then also understand that you can't push yourself into these things you know you you have to do it when you're ready that's something my psychiatrist told me in in our sessions is that you know never never feel bad and tell yourself you did it too late because you did it at the point that you were ready to do it and if you had been ready to do it before then you would have done it but if you didn't do it until now that's because you weren't ready to do it until now so yeah you know like don't push yourself and don't put all that pressure on yourself just be like i need to handle this the best i can just deal with it one day at a time like and then figure out what I need to do for myself, and then go from there, and and yeah, not put shoulds on on you, and and not put timeframes on you. I mean, because I I put timeframes on my transition, and I I disruined them all. Like, I didn't hit any <laughs> of bio, them. Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, like I said, I'm because I did that. I'm in a position now where I have no regrets about what I did. Where, if I'd done it sooner, you know, would I have had regrets? I don't know.
0: That's something I've, um, you know, as I've kind of watched Caitlyn Jenner um, through her process because it was so public. And every time I saw, I never watched an interview. I don't want to watch an interview. I just, I, I always felt like they were exploitive and trying to push her into a place she wasn't ready to be yet. And that's mm-hmm. kind of been my whole thing with the whole, with, with, with everything was like I hope this that she's doing this on her terms and not because the media has pushed her into a corner you know and and this is this is just what like she's doing it on the media's time frame or doing it at an accelerated pace instead of as she would normally and for the people in their 20s you know I don't I don't know how old Caitlyn Jenner isn't isn't she in her like Fifties or sixties? Fifties, yeah. Yeah, I
1: think, I think mid, I think mid, mid to late
0: fifties, I believe. I mean, i I don't think it's ever too late to to come to turn, not come to terms, to realize who you are and accept that.
1: It, it is hard, though. I mean i'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here and say I don't have regret because I do have regret. Right. I mean, I would have. Like it's it's been a it's been kind of hard in some ways because you know once I hit a certain point where I felt comfortable, where I was presenting female the entire time, where people were, were seeing me as that, were calling me that. I hit a point where like, Oh my God, I want to like go out and do things now. You know, mm-hmm. like I want to have fun. I want to like be out in the world now that I finally enjoy being in my own skin. I want to be like out meeting people and doing things. And I, I do have regrets, you know, it's like, I, I wish I would have done this or that, or I wish I would have, you know, been who i am now before to have more time enjoying it but you know like i said like i can't i can't change that and i think we ought to realize what we can and can't change and okay what i can do is is enjoy the time i have now you know as as this me um instead of just sitting around wishing i had time that i can't have back and you know caitlin was an interesting situation because i i <sighs> I think she was both pressured to do it soon as she wanted to be and also held back on it for the same reasons mm-hmm. and that's how I felt in in you know on both sides is again, like i said I'm not putting myself on her level, but you know there were things that I did do and didn't do because I had to think about the public repercussions of it, you know, and it is tough i mean i I feel like, whatever you think of her, whatever you think of the whole Kardashians thing, whatever you think of the reality TV thing, you know, she had to deal with her transition having all these cameras around her constantly. Yeah. And and I know, like, you know, when when I hit that really awkward point where I – didn't look so much like a man anymore but i wasn't passable as a woman yet like that drove me crazy just like leaving my house you know because it was these situations of how are people going to look at me how do i dress like how do i how do i hide certain things to pass one way or how do i emphasize things to pass the other way you know how am i going to be treated am i going to be called sir or ma'am today you know i i would i would go out And I would just have like jeans and a t-shirt. I wouldn't have shaved in a day or two, you know, just, just go out and I would have people call me ma'am. And then on the opposite side, I would, I would be actually trying to present myself, clean myself up, you know, uh, go out and I'd have people call me sir. Like, and that, that was just like mentally so draining. So I can totally feel for her in that position because any little thing she did you know, was being scrutinized Was where people like jumping all over her. And they were like, does this make her, you know, is, is Bruce Jenner transgender, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, that's none of your business. Right. And, you know, if, if, if Bruce at the time, you know, if Bruce is trans, then let him do what he needs to do to become who he's going to become. You know, and now I so, said, thankfully, now that, that she can be she, and she can be Caitlyn, like that whole drama is over but it, it is just like emotionally and mentally draining being in that point where you know all those little things are scrutinized by people and and they don't know you know how to deal with you and they wonder things about you and said you know in her case having it all called out in the news had just be just such a trial to yeah. get through so I'm I'm sure that it both delayed her in doing things and also pushed her to do things sooner
0: that's a good way to think about it too i just i I just refused to participate in and i was like you know just this person is gonna do what this person needs to do and you just need to back off and it, it just it really bothered me a lot so i just yeah
1: but like i said like as somebody who's gone through this you know it 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 bothered me just in the way that you know i if i you know if Kind of weird timing that we kind of both start with going through things the same rate though she did things before i did um that just seemed myself like you know if i'm in that position i want you to just leave me alone and and if i say later on i'm transgender then you can talk about it you know but just like chill for now and don't worry about it but we do we worry we do and it's nobody else's <laughs> business
0: until you tell them it is it's just nope anyway so um let's talk about gaming a little bit since that's that's a big part of of who you are and what you do. Um, and I know that you're really into especially the
1: Japanese games and Japanese culture, right? Yeah, which is a bizarre place to be in because um, like everything's just dying mm-hmm. and then everybody thinks it's like just nothing but perverted touching girls in your vita games yeah and so it's, it's there's yes, that perception I, I, there's that perception i am a fan but it's it's a weird fan to be in right now sometimes so have you
0: always like it kind of sounds like the the japanese genres have kind of been
1: what you've been attracted to yeah um i think part of it was because growing up uh i had a macintosh and at that point macintosh just had like no games I mean, we had had a few, but we had very, very little. So all my gaming was done on consoles. And, you know, back in the day, I I think it was kind of Japanese developers made console games, Mm -hmm. Western developers made PC games. That's how a lot of the breakdown kind of worked at that point. So I grew up, you know, just kind of gravitating, even before I knew they were quote unquote Japanese games, those are the kind of games I gravitated towards. And then at some point, you know, I became as... Many people have uh, one of these super hardcore anime dorks, you know, uh, just, oh, Japan is awesome. Everything from Japan is awesome. Uh-huh. I, I have to go there, live there someday and stuff like that. And so that got me, you know, needing to go to to, to play more Japanese games and stuff. And then I did live in Japan for a little while. So, yeah, I, I've always kind of had an appreciation for, for more of their just kind of design sensibilities and things like that. I have changed. As I've gotten older and at this point I do kind of like both western and Japanese gaming equally, but I still have a deep love for for Japanese games and it is it is tough sometimes because the way the market has changed over the years, I think they're having to um outside of companies like Nintendo and things like that, I think a lot of developers are having to cater to to a smaller more hardcore group of fans and that's kind of skewed the the design of certain games in ways i'm not always comfortable with
0: yeah there are definite cultural <laughs> differences that
1: exist there there are huge ones yes and and it can be tough if you don't know what the cultural differences, it can be tough to to understand and deal with them and then also just there's there's things that japan is still into that like I would say I've, I've kind of grown out of, you know, as, as I, as I've, as I've gotten older. Um, So it is, it is, you know, I'm kind of imagining some of the things I'm sure you're thinking of and it is, it is tough because they are definitely behind in a lot of ways that, you know, the, the, the social progress and the the just overall design progress and gameplay progress that we've made in the West it's not even, not even just a question of, like, how they treat characters or how they treat topics and situations, but just even, like, their, their, their gameplay, you know, or their, or their design. Like, there's so many things in ways that, unfortunately, I feel like Japan is lagging behind more and more, which is sad.
0: Well, and I was actually even kind of thinking about, like, Spirited Away. I remember the first time I watched Spirited Away, and I was like, okay, this is, this is weird. And it wasn't the first Miyazaki film I'd watched. So it wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, it was my first exposure to to that particular subset of, you know, anime. But it was like... I didn't understand no face and I was like, I don't, Mm. I don't know what's happening here. (laughs) And I talked to my friend who um, actually loaned me the movie and he was super into Japanese culture and he was trying to explain it to me. And I'm like, I still don't really understand. And like, even now I still don't, even though I like spirited away, (laughs) I'm like, I don't really, I don't really, you know, there's a piece I'm missing here. Mm -hmm. And I, I feel like that, that exists, you know, beyond the problematic things. Um, you know, there's, there's just there are certain nuances to it that I think are that's lost on a lot of Americans or you know people in Western culture too.
1: I think, that, but that that's see that's the thing that that's one of the things that draws me to those games and and draws me to anime or Japanese movies or, or Asian movies or whatever is there really is you know I think the best place to find this difference is if you look at Japanese horror versus Western horror. Right, because you know, Jap- I mean, uh, Western horror a lot of times is you've got a big guy with a machete mm-hmm. and he's going to slash people. You know, he's going to run out killing people. or You've got a chainsaw, you know, or knives or whatever. Um, and Japanese horror is like more like psychological. Mm-hmm. It's more like messing you up mentally than it is necessarily the physical threat. So I, I, they do get into like there's, um, I think maybe part of it. I don't know if it's part of it. Just like because of how much. I don't know if this is fair to say their culture's is older than ours. I think it's just their culture has been different in mm-hmm. terms of their storytelling and their myths and things like that. So I, I, really, I really do appreciate that kind of different level because it's not as easy always to understand. And you can you know, be sitting there watching the end of Evangelion, for example, being like, I have no idea what's going on. I
0: didn't I loved there's it, a, but I had no a idea. <laughs> gigantic,
1: gigantic girl like destroying the earth or something. But right. I have no clue what's going on. You know, you could have like those points, but then like when you are watching something and it does click. You know, I'm watching the the Revolutionary Girl Utena movie. You know, and I'm like, oh my god! Like I'm kind of understanding this stuff, and this is awesome because it's on a level different than other things. So I I totally appreciate why you know you you might watch that and go i don't know what's going on Mm -hmm. this is just weird um but it's it's like i don't know like i'm one of those kind of people like i'm one of the people who like stuff that's a little bit different than that like that so i appreciate not necessarily always understanding everything and then when i do understand it i feel super cool about myself I guess
0: see and i'm 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 a technical writer i I take things apart and put them together and aim and put words to them, and you know I'm getting into development and I, that's I'm kind of the opposite of like like yes. I want to know like I'm yes. steeped, you know, <laughs> so it's probably a personality thing, but
1: yeah, because in the kind of stuff you're doing, yes uh that style of writing or storytelling or or you're conveying ideas would not work at all, oh
0: i still watch it and enjoy it. I'll just be a little confused. It's okay. <laughs> spend a lot of my life confused. It's okay. So Molly,
1: we're at about an hour now.
0: Is there anything else you wanted to talk about today?
1: Gosh, that's, that's a good question. I mean, because there's like just so many, there's so many things. I, you know, I, I guess like, I mean, cause I guess if we're talking about the whole trans issue then you know, the question is like, how, how do games deal with, you know trans issues, and there is still so far we need to go. And yeah. I think part of I think part of it is because it's it's not easy to understand what a trans character is, right? Like, I mean, and I know this is very simplifying things, and it's not how it works in real life. But if you say I want games with gay characters, like at its simplest form, it is flipping a switch to say instead of this character romancing this person, this character is going to romance this person. You know, that's totally simplistic explanation, but that is a very, very easy way that a game can include, um, the, you know, gay representation. Right. But when you say, okay, how does a game include trans representation? That gets really hard to explain. And, I think an interesting note is – and I don't remember if you were in this panel or not, but in Dragon Age Inquisition, which is a very recent example of of having some strong trans characters
0: mm-hmm.
1: and positive um, trans elements, when you're making your character, no matter whether your character is said to be male or female, you can give your character an Adam's apple. Mm-hmm. Like a prominent one, I mean, because we all have them, but um, – and the story I told during the panel was I was making my character and I saw that and I was like, you know, it's a tiny thing. I'm only ever going to know it. It's not going to affect the game whatsoever. But giving my my female character this prominent ad level could kind of be a small way to show that she's a trans character. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but then it was, okay, what does that even mean to the game? And do i even want to play a trans character so i think you have you have an issue of you know if you're gay or lesbian you want that representation because you want to have relationships that connect with you versus what you're just forced into mm-hmm. but for for trans players like do we do we really want to play trans characters like that's kind of speaks to the the whole deeper bigger question of what it means to be trans because at some point, you know, like, I don't know that I want to be transgender woman. I want to just be a woman. woman right? You know? So it's, it's, a, it's a really complicated issue. So I think at this point, it's far easier for us to have negative representation in gaming than, than positive. And you can think of everything from, you know, Resident Evil Code Veronica, where you had the, the crazy, psychotic, evil crossdresser. You know, you, you have games like uh, Blue Estate which is one that recently made me mad because it has a totally throwaway and kind of offensive trans joke. Um, You know, you have plenty of examples of of trans characters in gaming that have either been, you know, just evil because they're trans or just the weirdo characters or whatever. Um, You have situations like Poison, this character who for 20 plus years was a transgender character, and then, you know, uh Capcom announces that now it's up to people themselves and their choice on whether or not she's trans. What? Which I on on one hand, I I I understand they're wanting to avoid the issue, but they, they kind of took a really bad way of doing yeah. it. Um if they had just said nothing, things would have been a lot better. So, you know, <clears throat> I think that if anything, you know, if you're thinking about what it means for trans issues in gaming, just it's not there's no easy, simple solution. And so I I you know, if you're asking me to sit here and I I know you're not asking me, but if somebody <laughs> asked me to say, you know, what is your what is your solution? Well, there really isn't one right now. Like I don't know what the best solution is. It's just thinking about it. It's thinking about if we do have trans characters, you know, how are we representing them and and how are we dealing with them? And, you know, um, I'm not saying like every trans character has to be a good guy. I'm just saying that like they have to be, you know, well-crafted characters like we want from everybody else in in our in our games. And I think the bigger question for now is is really like, you know, the trans player and are they being represented? Are they being accepted? Do they feel comfortable in in, in communities? You know, even in LGBT communities, like where the representation can be just so heavily to the gay side
0: right.
1: you know like do they feel like they fit in in that point do they even want to be out or do they not want to be out um is it even like is it good for somebody like me who is trans to only be in trans friendly guilds and gaming communities or is it actually doing me harm you know so there's a lot of really really complicated questions that that don't all have answers. And so I think we just need to think more if we go forward about, you know, what does it mean for trans characters? Like how can games better represent us? And what does that representation even mean? And do we even want to play as trans characters? How how do you integrate them without having it feel forced? So it's, it's a really complex problem that
0: I don't know what the solution is. <laughs> And there's yeah, there's so much nuance too. you know, I I would love to see more trans characters in mainstream games, but I kind of don't know, especially AAA studios. I don't know if they have the capacity for sensitivity on a level like after talking to like games writers at AAA studios and hearing what things Mm -hmm. can be like there. I'm like, I don't even know if I want the AAAs touching trans issues for like another 10 years until they grow up a little, you know?
1: Yeah, it's, it's really tough. And I mean, I, I said, I, I give Bioware a lot of credit because um, the character of Krem in Dragon Age Inquisition was a really well-done character and I think brought up the trans issue in an interesting way where, I mean, if, if, you're, if you're somebody who's going to bitch about it, no matter what, you could say it was forced, but I don't really think it felt super forced. It just felt like, oh, you're learning the same about this character, which later on you can then find out more about them if you want to. Um, But yeah, for for the like, I think you know, us transgender people are just so bizarre, mysterious creatures to most of the world still that I don't think people even understand like how to write. Because, like I said, I mean, I think on the gay side, I think. When you look at things... Like, I mean, look at Fire Emblem. Um, um forgetting the subtitle now. It starts with an F. Uh, the, the new Fire Emblem is coming out where they just announced there's going to be gay marriage in the game. But it's you have to buy a certain version of the game. Like, if you buy this version, then you get to, to have a male marry a male. And if you buy this version, you get to have a female marry a female. And it's only one actual character choice for each side so you have to like that one character otherwise you have no choice in the matter and and it's it's really it's seen as well the solution like i was saying earlier the solution to to the gay question is just to flip that switch right you know and then have it not be any different but you know gay and lesbian relationships like aren't like that yeah (laughs) So it's it's still there's a lot of growth that needs to be done, period, and figuring out when it really is important for a game to to touch on these issues or not, and you know, when it isn't. I mean, like I'm not saying the next Mario needs to have a trans character, even though it kind of does with Birdo, but you know. <laughs> but haven't they denied that though? Well, they that's the that's the problem. That's the that's the problem in gaming is that yeah. companies will say something and then it's it's like i mean going back to poison it's like poison as soon as somebody notices that's the problem like they'll they'll say they'll say something and it'll be totally fine and then people are like oh wait they said this about this character and then the company's like no 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 no. i'm sorry we, we didn't mean that we meant something totally different you know um so yeah i think it's like we can have trans characters as long as people don't notice that we have trans characters and as soon as i <sighs> do they get taken away from us Ugh. Contempt. We have contempt. Like Phoenix, right? You have contempt. <laughs> no, wait. That's objection. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> I can have both.
1: <laughs> yes. Okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about today, Molly? <sighs> See, the problem that I do so many pod- podcasts, I could just hear and like ramble for like eight hours. So, I think those are the basics. I I think this these are really gigantic, huge topics that have so many different things to to speak on and talk about but um i guess the final thought like if you know somebody who's trans be nice to them <laughs> and if, if you know of a friend uh who is trans just support them you know even though if you don't always understand and you won't not even just not even just friend like co-worker or whatever, and you won't always understand you know um you won't know why pronouns are so important you won't know necessarily know why calling them their new their new name is such a big deal. You know, you you haven't been in their shoes, so you can't understand the feelings they're having and the emotions they're having, and and why people like myself do what they do. But you know, as much as you can, just kind of try to understand and support them. And it's okay if you don't understand. You know, because we're not we're never going to understand everybody. On everything so you know just be decent to them and, and and treat them like a human being and you know support them where you can and understand them where you can and yeah so
0: i think that's a great place a great note to end on
1: yeah um molly where can people find you online i am on twitter uh at molly pen that's m-o-l-l-i-p-e-n and i'm a vast amount of other places but that's actually the easiest place to go to um because if you go there and click on my profile i have a link to my website which you can then like check out all my podcasts or my work stuff or things like that so yeah just follow me on twitter and my dms are open um and so far so good Uh so you know if you have any questions and you know if you are somebody I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert. I am not a doctor. I am, you know, I am just one person trying their best. But, you know, if you are trans and have questions, or if you aren't trans, but have questions, and if you're afraid those questions might be weird, you know, you can send them to me and I, you, I won't, I won't judge you or, or think you're strange for asking something. So I'm here to help.
0: That's wonderful. Well, you can find the show on Twitter at Less Than or Equal. If you have feedback, suggestions for guests, or would like to be a guest, please go to less than or dot com and fill out the contact form. If you have a few minutes, I'd really appreciate a review or even just a star rating on iTunes. And we also have a Patreon which you can find at patreon dot com slash Aline. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, on an internet near you, I'm Aline Sims for Less Than or Equal.